Michelle Cates, Executive Director of Heal Well, where we make massage therapy matter. And I am Kathy Ryan here in British Columbia, Canada, major Heal Well fangirl, and this is Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice regulation and education. We bring on fancy guests, and sometimes we bring those fancy guests back. To not only discuss these issues, but formulate and share some possible solutions to move us forward. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, give us some stars. Uh, I think we've got, uh, now we've got people's dogs and cats listening. The audience, the listenership is growing. Uh, Send us an email at info at healwell.org and let us know what interests and concerns you in the profession, because we do this for you. So let us know what you want to hear about. As always... We like to start off with a little massage pun. Are you guys ready? It's not even, and as we've discussed, it's not a massage pun. That's what we need to do this episode about why the jokes about massage are so awful and what this says about our profession. But we've gone through all the clean massage jokes already. So we're going science today. And uh, I feel like this is appropriate given many of the conversations we've been having lately. But I want you guys to know that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. Kathy, how are you? Oh, better now. <laughs> oh, you know, doing okay. Uh, as I've mentioned in the past couple of weeks, we are seeing a little bit of a, an uptick here in Canada. Not back to the numbers where we were in the spring with regard to COVID, but we have seen a little bit of an uptick as people are starting to gather and not be careful. Um, my practice is holding steady. We're still pretty good in our local region. Um, so fingers crossed, hanging in there. How about yourself, Cal? Oh, continuing to be quite tenuous and uh, downright contentious, I think. Um, some schools have already opened and there are some photos of packed high school and middle school classroom uh, and hallways, um, kids without masks and schools telling kids please stop posting pictures of what it's really like at school. You will be penalized. And um, teachers unions considering striking. Uh, some states saying, absolutely not. We're going to stay remote. Uh, the governor of Maryland uh, earlier this week uh, banned school districts from not opening. So basically, he's forcing them to open. Um, and um, it really, again, it, it's another way that the, the virus has become politicized because it's, you know, the safety points pretty well toward we're not really ready to go back to school physically, uh, but governors in states that want to align with sort of the Republican or really sort of the Trump, um, you know, philosophy are saying, nope, it's safe, let's go, you know, kids need to go back to school. And we've got the American Pediatric Association saying particularly younger kids suffer by not going back to school and so some school districts are saying okay our kids like up to third grade are going to go back physically and then the older kids are going to do remote school so it's really it continues to be incredibly divisive and you know our our national death toll is creeping toward 160,000 um and it's you know personally i i find my rage increasing daily at the preventability of the whole situation uh, so it's really hard to to find a grounded place inside me about all of the ways that this is affecting not only my life, but everybody I care about. And, uh, you know, I look at other countries that, you know, like 
Canada is doing much better than we are. Uh, New Zealand, they have some cases, but still managing Australia, Germany. I mean, there are lots of, you know, free and civilized, and, you know, we, we try to hold ourselves out there as something special in the U.S., but there are countries who are really killing it. And, um, you know, we've got bars in Kentucky, for instance, that I just read about saying, we're staying open because we're Americans and we're going to do what we want to do. And it's like, okay, nice work, you guys. So yeah, we're in the exact same place. It just gets uglier and there are different ways that it shows up. But um, yeah, apparently most Americans right now are in favor of pausing or stopping immigration because they wanna control COVID. Um, and it just makes me laugh because nobody wants to come here right now and we're not allowed to go <laughs> anywhere else. So yeah, it's a, it's a struggle for sure. Practice-wise, Heal Well is in pretty much the same place, um, largely because of the inability to predict what direction we're headed in and, and the continued um, PPE struggles. One of our <laughs> doctors posted last week, he said that he saw, he saw a uh, surgical mask on the ground in the street and he sort of laughed to himself like, oh, wow, that, doesn't that person know they could wear that all week? <laughs> so, <laughs> Straight from the annals of funny, not funny. Uh, yeah. Where we are. So, um, yeah. But before we go too much further down that rabbit hole, let's excitedly welcome our guest. Pam Fitch is back with us. Yay! <laughs> Very nice to be here. Thank you. Yay. Tell us again how fancy you are, Pam. Fancy. Why, why, do, you, why do we want, want to have you on our show? You're so sweet. <laughs> I think uh, the questions that I was posed had to do with communication, uh, those delicate situations in the, in the treatment room when clients say something that makes you want to throttle them and you have to find uh, a more appropriate and professional way to respond. So we thought that might be a good topic and that's why I'm here. Excellent. We have been getting a lot of interviews about that, so. Well, I'm part of what, uh, you know, I, Pam and I had a bit of a conversation and, about this uh, a little while ago. And part of what stimulated it for me was when we had Dr. J pop on. And one of my questions was, okay, we have a very defined scope of practice. Um, I have professional standards that I have to adhere to, ethics and professionalism guidelines that I have to adhere to. So uh, engaging clients in, you know, calling them on their commentary is is challenging for me because i have to stay within that framework so if someone makes a racist or homophobic comment in my presence in the treatment room how do i handle that in a professional way within the context of the the framework that i have to work within so that's what kind of prompted that question and i when i posed that question to dr j pop one of the responses back was change the legislation and I'm like, well, we all know how quickly government moves. <laughs> I'll be retired before that happens. In, in the meantime, <laughs> how, how, can I, how can I work with this? How can I engage in a way that is uh, both gets the point across that I'm not open to um, listening to or engaging in this kind of uh, conversation, and at the same time, make sure that I'm meeting my professional requirements. Pam, <laughs> help me. 
Help me, Pam. <laughs> Um, there's a couple of ways you can do it. The, 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 the how-to is one thing. The whether or not we should do it, that's another story. So which direction do you want to go in at this point? Well, I, I would love to explore because I think the how-to, we don't even get to the how-to until we can get over the hurdles of whether or not to. And I think yeah. the whether or not to is, is fraught in different ways, but is definitely a thing that stops people. And uh, I'm really curious about your perspective about that. Well, if you think about it, um, when you go in to see your doctor or another medical professional, I don't know if you've observed this, but being so obsessed about communication for so many years, I really look at the communication skills of health professionals when I go into their offices. And the first thing that I notice that is different from the, the average massage therapy practice is there is no invitation to uh, to converse about politics, religion, uh, gender identity. There, there are any of those contentious issues that people have strong opinions about. There's no invitation to have that conversation. Whereas when I go into a massage therapy environment, frequently therapists will open the door to all kinds of conversation because while we are performing our magic on our clients' bodies, in some cases, and I'm certainly guilty of this myself, at times, feels like, you know, we need a little conversation to distract the client. So we open the door to have personal conversations or we'll say something about, wow, that was, a, that was quite an event last week that happened at civic politics. Uh, you know, provincial or state politics, or God forbid, national politics. Um, I am so guilty of this, and I have found myself in situations where uh, clients will express something, and I'll go, oh, internally, oh, oh no, this is, I don't share this person's views, and now it's an awkward conversation because I don't want to talk about this with this person, I have to provide unconditional positive regard to this individual. Yeah. And if I want to throttle them, it's gonna be tough. It's really hard, yeah. So I think that the very crux of the whole thing is, is it our responsibility to contain the conversations? And I think it is, I think that's fundamental we have a responsibility to make sure that conversations don't go in certain directions. That may be more difficult with some people than with others because I have also encountered certain clients who, it doesn't matter who's in the room, they're going to tell me what they think, they're going to say whatever they want, and the conversation will end up in that same awkward space. So then it becomes a question of, what is my role here? Am I an educator? Am I, is my job to teach this person the politically correct way of responding? Am I supposed to just listen to comments that offend me? You know, this becomes a, a personal and also a professional choice because speaking to Kathy's point about scope of practice, what we do is hands-on care. 
And in some provinces in Canada, that's extremely uh, prescribed. BC has a very prescribed scope of practice. Where I come from in another province in Ontario, um, we have a similar scope of practice, but not as prescribed. And there is a certain degree of wiggle room about that kind of thing. But I think it's really important for us to make some choices. How far will we allow a conversation to go before we ask to change the subject? How far will we allow someone to go down a road of making offensive comments before we say, I'm really not comfortable talking about this? You know, I think we need to make some uh, decisions way before the client, that offensive client, walks in the room so that we're prepared. Yeah, well, I think it, it brings two questions for me. So the first is, you know, one of the things that we talked about with Dr. J-Pop is that, you know, you can, you can kind of put up with anything for an hour and is it, I think it's the rare situation where you have to intervene during the session. Yeah. And, you know, do you do it right after the session? Do you, when the person wants to rebook, do you say like, okay, so, but this happened last time and it concerned me and, and this is not an energy that I want in my treatment space or whatever your, your way of saying it is. But I think the other piece that is really coming up for me right now in particular is at what point am I hiding as a human who knows what's right in terms of equity and seeing my fellow humans, am I hiding behind my scope? And sort of what's the, what, you know, where does the rubber meet the road there? And I, and I, I think that there is, it, it's very easy. Any one of us could, could, I will, clearly I have a judgment about this because I'm saying hiding behind your scope, right? But um, I think it's easy to say, well, it's not my, not my job. And it's, you know, I think of the, of the famous thing, you know, they came for the socialists and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a socialist and they came for the communists. And it's like, yeah, you know, they're, they, whoever they are, no matter what your position, are going to come for you at some point. And when will you speak up? And when is it your responsibility as a human, regardless of your professional credential? But Cal, how hard is it for people to say, I'm not comfortable speaking about this right now? Uh, that's, that's a really straightforward thing that you can actually say, I'm not comfortable talking about this during your treatment. That, yeah. that is uh, an indication that you don't, don't want to go there. <laughs> right? Want to continue providing unconditional positive regard. And the unspoken reality is if we go there, if we go down this road, it's going to hamper your, your treatment. So I think that the most honest thing that we can say is I don't want to I really don't want to discuss this right now. Um, but some people push and sometimes you have to get a little bit more direct. Yeah. So you can choose a couple of different strategies. One is just distracting. How does that feel in your belly when I press this trigger point? <laughs> just breathe into it, right? <laughs> let's, uh, let's distract this person by providing uh, very pointed trigger point therapy. Uh, that is a strategy I've used on a number of occasions. Um, but there's also uh, situations where you can declare yourself and 
in my humble opinion, keep me honest here, Kathy, I don't believe our scopes of practice require us to tolerate behavior which is inappropriate. We are not servants, we're health professionals. So if somebody is behaving in a way that is offensive, it is acceptable to say your actions right now are causing me to feel quite uncomfortable and we need to either change the atmosphere here to stop talking about this topic or I cannot continue to provide care. We have the right to discharge clients or patients because if the therapist's goals cannot be met, if we are swallowing a lot of bile because of the comments of a client, we do have the right to push back a little bit. That's, that's my professional opinion. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> you know, interesting that you brought up right at the beginning, Pam, the uh, example of going into a physician's office and that there's no invitation for that. And, and in our practice, because our, our, our structure, our framework is so different, right? Um, and again, this is a generalization, but someone goes to see their family physician, they may be in that office for maybe sitting, waiting in the exam room for five minutes, the physician comes in for five to 10 minutes, and then they're getting dressed and they're leaving. Not the case with us. So we're spending an hour in a space with, with someone, maybe even longer, maybe an hour and a half. So I, I do my best to keep uh, particularly politics out of, of the conversation for sure. Um, and not give that invite, but because we have this time, this space, that opens the door for folks. Well, and I think, I think, you know, when we were talking about some of the things that come up around this, when we were thinking about doing this episode, and, you know, that, that question of, I mean, certainly, it is a different environment when you're in a massage treatment room versus when you're getting a physical or, you know, seeing your OB or whatever it might be. Um, but I was laughing to myself because I actually do talk with my providers about, you know, even if it's a 10 minute appointment, I, I kind of know where my providers lean. Uh, and I think it is really, it's an interesting thing because my, the way that I perceive politics, I guess, uh, in a way that's what we're talking about, is that it's about values on some level or at least the issues that we're talking about here in terms of like racism, homophobia, uh, equity, that that is really about, you can be a Republican and believe in equity, you can be a Democrat and believe in, I don't know what your parties are in Canada, but sort of, I imagine you have sort of left-leaning and right-leaning people. And that, you know, it's not fair to assume that if you're a Republican, you don't care about people, or that if you're a Democrat, you don't care about money. Uh, but I feel like, when someone is going to be caring for me, I want them to value the same things I value. And it's not that I don't think they can find a space for that sort of um, unconditional positive regard, but I want it to be as easy as possible. I want them to understand the things that are important to me because my health is not just about my body. And I want them, when I go to see my nurse practitioner, she asks me how I'm doing in a way that 
I know she understands that I'm feeling a lot of stress right now because of what's happening in the world and how she knows that I understand it. So I think that's simply to say that I think we have a, a wide spectrum, even within the practitioner community, that some practitioners show up and just do their work barely have conversation with their clients. That's how they're able to focus. That's how they've set up their practice. That's how it works. And then you have practitioners who really gravitate toward and cultivate their practice in a way that most of the people who come to them share their values and that whether they spend the whole session talking about those things or they've gathered that information over time, uh, you know, I think we're talking about when you get a person who loves you and keeps coming back to you even though it's clear that your values are different, or if you work in a place where you often see people maybe once or twice, or you see them every couple months, and how do you, um, how do you, how do you manage that? And I think your your tip about sort of I'm not comfortable talking about this can work in a lot of situations to just at least shut it down in the moment. Well, what you're saying is really important, and from a from a client or a patient perspective, those folks. I, in my opinion, have a right to, to express how they're doing. It's the job of a health professional to ask those questions, just like the nurse practitioner that you mentioned. How are you doing? That's a common question that we're asking. And we're expecting certain um, responses from our clients, no question. But where there becomes a problem from uh, my point of view is if we end up turning people away because they don't share our values, that's where I think we uh, veer away from health practice that is common um, in other professions, uh, circumstances. Because when you think about the, the fundamental do no harm and do good, both those things require that we provide care, even if we don't like somebody, even if we don't like their values, that we treat them with the same kind of respect. And, and it's the, the, the crux of what makes this really challenging is that we're human too. And we, we don't want to be offended. If, if I'm putting my hands on somebody, I have to feel some modicum of care for that individual. I can't just work on their tissues. I'm treating a human being. So I get that we need to acknowledge the realities. But we also have responsibilities as professionals to kind of contain a discussion and not allow the discussion to get to a point where we feel like we do have to push somebody away based on their values and beliefs. And that may, may not be what you're saying at all, but I just think that's a really uh, essential point to make in this discussion. Well, and, and I know for me as a practitioner, you know, it's, it's that thing about no judgment in, in the treatment space and that I, my, I have a job to do. And my job is to deliver the highest standard of care that I possibly can. And I, I know for me as a human being, um, if there's some kind of depth of conversation that's, let's say, not directly related to the care that I'm providing, let's say it's what's happening in the world or whatever the case may be, I start to invest in that conversation, I start to lose my hands. Exactly. And then for me, that is not appropriate as a, as a care provider. So my responsibility as a professional 
is to stay very present to and for that patient uh, and to be completely in my hands because really that's why they're there. You know, they're, they're there because of what my hands can provide for them. And if I start to lose my hands, then I am not uh, living up to my professional um, responsibility. That's I think I think I agree with you, Kathy, and I think there, there's a boundary issue here where it's it's totally acceptable and appropriate to actually tell somebody, you know, when we talk about politics or if we talk about things that I care really deeply about, I get distracted and I need us to focus on what you need right now. So as your massage therapist, I'm going to ask us respectfully not to talk about this topic. Doesn't mean that you can't have conversations about values. I'm not here, I'm not suggesting that I would judge any therapist who gets into those conversations because they're but for the grace of God I go I. I've done it many, many times. But I've also fallen into a situation where someone will say something that is really offensive and now we're in a management issue. Now I have to uh, deal with the communication issue instead of providing the care. Like you said, Kathy, I want to be in my hands. I don't want to be trying to instruct somebody about the inappropriate ways that they're, they're conversing. Or thoroughly pissed off about what they just said. <laughs> yeah, that's such a human response. We're human. No question. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then the question becomes, how do we make an environment safe for people so that they can say what they need to say, but that we're not inviting conversations going to take us down rabbit holes uh, that are going to negatively impact the treatment? Ah, well, there's a number of ways you can go about declaring your values. And Cal, you mentioned that it's really important to you to live transparently um, in the way you believe. And, and I can certainly imagine in observing um, some of the stories in American politics right now that people do have to declare because there are polarities at play that maybe we're not experiencing right now in Canada. Um, so there are really discreet ways that you can do that simply by uh, putting up a poster for an organization that you are committed to that may trigger someone's awareness that I'm committed to this cause or whatever. Um, you have to be careful with that because our job is not to politicize what we're doing, but it's possible, for example, um, to put a rainbow flag in your, in your treatment room um, to let people know that this is a gay positive space or a safe space for people who are addressing gender identity issues or um, if you're committed to the Black Lives Matter issues that you somehow put some books out on your tree on your table that uh, are clarifying your views but it's a delicate line it's a delicate balance between advocating for a particular cause and remaining that healthcare professional. Uh, I, I really do uh, fall on the side of our job is to 
keep our own politics and our, our beliefs as contained as possible, as we possibly can, so that we can provide good care. And that is sometimes very, very challenging. Well, and I've been very fortunate in my practice. I haven't, you know, I can't really recall a situation where I've had to navigate a really blatant, hateful comment from a client. Most of what I've had to navigate is, you know, I'll call it more subtle, but it's, I'm not, I'm not diminishing. <laughs> Uh, it in any way, but most of it has come as some kind of offhanded joke mm -hmm. that has sort of a racist uh, type of slant to it. Uh, typically speaking, because of where where I, I live, um, it it is most often directed at the indigenous community, mm -hmm. um, or you know just some kind of you know certainly earlier on in my career I had to feel the you know slightly off massage jokes. You know, so I learned how to navigate that in a way that called the person on it, but was respectful at the same time. Um, you know, so most of what I've had to deal with has has been that kind of stuff and not out and out blatant, hateful type of, uh, you know, commentary. Yeah, and, and there's some important ways that we can educate people to actually state the obvious. My job here is to help you get better. And if we focus on those kinds of jokes, I might get distracted. I would really appreciate it if we focus on your treatment. That's a way to simply stop behavior. It, you're not showing any uh, enjoyment of a tasteless joke, and you're direct, directing the, the treatment appropriately. There are ways to manage it in such a way that we're not um, harming anybody, but if we're just containing, we're being, we're being the good parent, the responsible parent in that moment and containing behavior that's inappropriate. Uh, but at the same time, I think that people come to us, it's a very intimate kind of care that we provide, and they lose their um, filters the things that they might never say out on the street or in the grocery store, they might say to us because it's like pillow talk, you know, it's very uh, personal. Now, they're, they're between the sheets, they don't have uh, their street clothes on, and they're being touched. So people lose their filters. Sometimes we just have to remind them respectfully that we don't have time for that kind of joke and it takes some skill uh, maturity but I think these are important messages to give our clients yeah well and I've found myself in in situations particularly recently because I, I really like any any bit of patience I had for <laughs> uh, things that I feel like are uh, against humanity, uh, for, for lack of a, I guess, more graceful way to say it, uh, is gone. And so, you know, when people, and I think so much of it, I have learned, I feel like I've been paying attention for a long time, but if I, if I had learned in every three month increment of my life, what I've learned in the last three months about the ways that I uphold inequity and the phrases that I use that are inappropriate, that I never really knew the history of, and like, 
somebody the other day said that something was really ghetto. And I was like, yeah, so we can't say that anymore. And it, I wasn't, it wasn't a client, but you know, I think that one of the ways that I have in conversations, I'm like, oh my gosh, do you know that you can't really, we can't, we can't really say that anymore. And I just learned that like, here's the history of this word or like people will say that when you, when you um, kind of haggle down or something, people will say that, you know, you got gypped. And I was like, oh, did you know that that actually comes from gypsy and gypsy even actually is not really a word that we should use. And like, yes, no, you knew, but I didn't know. And you can sort of jump in the boat with them and be like, wow, yep, I used that until like this morning. And just FYI. Um, so I think there's some of that too that can happen depending on, I mean, m most of my practice, I haven't worked in places where I meet a person for the first time and that's the only time I see them. So I have the luxury of being a few sessions in or even a few years in, um, into a relationship with this person where I, I have some sort of credit in the bank and I sort of know how they communicate and I can do it in a way that's like, so, Hey, I bet you want to also be aware. And this is a thing that you know, it's kind of off the table now. So Cal, what I hear you doing in, the, in those examples is educating your clients, but also from a really emotionally intelligent point of view. You're not, you're not uh, distancing yourself from their actions. You are sharing a piece of information that may be of interest, and you're also making um, the conversation a we conversation as opposed to you. You are, you are making a mistake. So you're not making a judgment about them, you're just informing them. And that's a wonderful strategy for educating people. Have you, can I ask you this, have you experienced people pushing back when you've educated them in that way? Um, I, I have had the, well, I guess I would say I've had three main responses. Um, the one has been, I was thinking about a client that I actually did talk with about this because she, she, when COVID started, she's like, I miss you. Who am I going to complain to the president about? And I was like, oh no, that's terrible that that's what you get from me. But she does, she complains the whole session. And, um, you know, I, I don't disabuse her of her notions, let's say. Um, but, no. but, you know, she, um, she said something that, you know, and she's in her late 60s uh, from the South, and she said something, and I said, hey, you know, like, I just read this book, and this is what I learned about that, and she went, ugh, well, that's good. You guys should definitely stop doing that, but, you know, I'm old, and I'm from the South, and, you know, and I just put my hand on her leg, and I was like, you know, that's not a real excuse, right? And, and she <laughs> do with it, but she'll still be my client, um, and then I've had people just be quiet just suddenly get quiet in general. Um, and then generally, because I've been speaking back to people for years, um, people will say, oh, I didn't know that. And I think people still, I mean, no matter how well you deliver it, I think people still feel embarrassed, uncomfortable, whatever. But, but I think you're right. I mean, it's in the delivery and that we really just have to get so much better at being like, you know, we all make mistakes. And most of us will do better if we know better. And we can't know better unless somebody speaks up and says, hey, you know, like, I bet you, I bet you didn't know that this is hurtful. And here's yeah. what I, yeah. And, and certain people have uh, more right to give that kind of education than others. Mm. You know, I'm an old white gal, privileged. <laughs> <laughs> I am really reluctant to teach people about what I think they should be saying. Yeah. On the other hand, I have 
life experience and they can teach in a much more uh, integral way with, with honesty and authenticity. So that context is also important to consider. Um, speaking out is, is not a problem, but I, I, when I was talking to Kathy about this podcast, I, I said to her, you know, my secret weapon is an I statement because you can use, one can use an I statement in the most um, nuanced way possible. It is the most brilliant communication technique I think I've ever heard. And I don't know if I statements are used in massage training in the US, Cal, but um, I know that in Canada, I wish they were used more. I've certainly taught them in workshops and that kind of thing, and people are almost unfamiliar with them, but in psychotherapy, they're very, very common. So can I give you an example of an I statement? Yes, please. I was going to okay. ask. <laughs> so, so there's three parts to an I statement. The first is a statement about my feelings, and it's always the place to start. Um, so I need to, in order to deliver a good authentic I statement, I need to uh, say out loud how I'm feeling. And these are feeling words, they're not theory, it's not judgment, it's not belief, it's a feeling word. So I feel encouraged, I feel uncomfortable, I feel concerned, I feel really angry, I feel hurt. These are emotional statements. So I need to use those kinds of words to say how I'm feeling. This also requires that you need to know what you're feeling. So that's where the brilliance of this technique comes in. But if you can get to that feeling statement, I feel X, and then describe the behavior clearly without judgment when you did Y. So I felt really uncomfortable when you said this thing about Indigenous people, for example, to use Kathy's uh, story. Um, right there, what you've done is you've you said what's true for you. Nobody can, nobody can uh, deny your feelings because your feelings are personal. They're your feelings, right? And and the person can't deny that they did the behavior because you observed it and they did it. So right. those two things are going to have real integrity. And then the third part of the I statement, which is sometimes forgotten, is the negotiation for how you're going to go forward. And so I felt concerned when you made these comments about Indigenous people, what I would like for us to do in the future is to, you know, then you make your choice, not have this conversation, not discuss it during treatment, uh, make sure that your comments about Indigenous people are respectful. Whatever it is you want that behavior to be. So when you deliver it, uh, you just basically say, I felt really uncomfortable when you made that comment about indigenous people. What I would really appreciate is for us not to talk about these things during treatment because, and then you give them a reason, I get distracted or I feel uncomfortable and I can't do good care. And that brings it back to you as a health professional. It's, it's brilliant. You can 
I, my husband and I uh, come from backgrounds where we, we don't do so well when people are just talking from an angry place. So we use I statements in our relationship. Yeah. And sometimes if I'm frustrated with students, I'll go away and I'll think about it for a week and then I'll come back and I'll talk to a class and I'll use an I statement. I use this with my colleagues. It's a way to have a conversation which doesn't have the emotional charge that anger brings or frustration or guilt or whatever the emotional thing is. But you can deliver a message very clearly. And I have never in my experience in using these I statements ever had somebody say, that's stupid. Yeah. That, what you're doing is inviting them to have an adult conversation about an issue that's really important to you. So that's my that's my go-to when it comes to difficult, um, challenging communication interactions. Yeah, I think that's an excellent tip. And I, I feel like it's it's a disarming technique. You know, I, I think, yeah. like you said, I mean, people, we so often, you know, I think about the, the power of, of using I statements and that often what we say is, you made me feel when. Exactly. And it's so much different. And it really is so much more sort of neutral but clear when you say, this is what happened inside me. It happened to happen in coincidence with something you said. I'm <laughs> and what I think might help. It's actually okay to say, I reacted to what you said. Yes. I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. I really reacted. When you said X, I really reacted. It's okay to, to own that. Yeah. yeah. But all of the theory on communication will say that nobody can make you feel anything. Your feelings are your own, and they are developed because they're in reaction to events or circumstances or comments or occurrences that maybe you've encountered with other people. But your feelings are your own. Nobody makes you feel something. And, and if you were in my class and you said, you made me feel such, you'd get that wrong on the test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think this is, this is sort of advanced personhood. You know, it's not advanced practitioners. Like this is <laughs> how you learn in the world to, to resist polarization and to invite understanding. And, um, and I think that it's easy to, to bury the lead, but the third piece of, and this is how I'd like to proceed, is key. Because I think you can say how you feel and you can say what inspired that feeling or what was connected to that feeling. And if you just leave it there, then you just both feel like, well, this is uncomfortable. But if you say, solution out by negotiating the, the next step, yeah. you're making it possible for the two of you to remain in relationship and move forward in relationship with a new understanding. And to me, it's, it's just brilliant. I've, I've found this repeatedly, even with my boss, like when you're in a position of, of, of uh, where somebody is more powerful than you are, um, you can use I statements. In, uh, I, I work in a large college, so I have a boss, and senior management might make a decision that, that is really hard to carry out as a faculty member. Well, I can have that conversation with my um, 
boss and and it, and it works in the same way so that we're negotiating as a team and it's not an us against them and and really cal for what i've observed and what's going on in the u.s my god there's so much polarization that yeah. we need these adult conversations it's yeah. the only way through definitely <laughs> i think I, I think i just expressed the political opinion <laughs> You know, honestly, I, I think I think every day, like when I sit down to meditate, I think, okay, people are suffering. And so people who feel for whatever reason that their rights are being infringed by being asked to wear a mask, they are suffering. It's hard for me to fully go to the place where I can understand their sense of oppression, but I know what it's like to feel oppressed. And so we could still have a conversation if, Two people, one who believes in mask wearing and one who doesn't, could actually sit 10 feet from each other and talk about what is it that makes you feel this way. And I bet we actually share some of the same feelings. We're just responding differently. And I think that's we. And, and from my perspective, a lot of what massage therapists do from a communication standpoint is negotiate. We negotiate how we're going to proceed with an assessment or a treatment or figure out what the plan is down the road. We're interviewing clients. Having a, a, an I statement peppered into that conversation is just part of that educative process of showing our, demonstrating to our clients and patients, this is how it works in massage therapy. Yeah. And, and, and in a sense, if you, can, if you can model safe communication, then even the people that offend you may start to feel safe enough to remove some of that armor that keeps them so adhered to positions that are contentious. And, they, and you might understand or you might discover that underneath that is just a tremendous amount of fear. Yeah. So a lot of what we do is support, encourage, create a safe space, contain the environment. By doing that predictably and just observing what happens and not uh, putting a value judgment one way or the other on, on an occurrence in a treatment, we're uh, demonstrating how to create a safe space. And I, I just think that's, that's going to create healing uh, all the way through. And, and it may not show up in the treatment room, but it may be something that that person will carry into their life with someone else yeah well and I, I know for me you know I, I come from the perspective of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and this carries over you know I have a longer initial intake with my patients than a standard one-hour session mm -hmm. and and part of the informed consent piece that I cover with them is about conversation during a treatment session so I may say something to them like um, I, I won't generally uh, initiate sort of casual conversation. Uh, if you like to talk during your session, you're perfectly welcome to do that. But I want to stay really focused on the delivery of care. So I tend to stay away from political, religious, or other potentially contentious kind of conversations because that distracts my hands. And I want to make sure that I'm giving you the best possible treatment that I can. But if you want to initiate casual conversation, by all means, you know, feel comfortable to do so. 
if I don't give a lot of responses because I really want to focus on the care that I'm providing for you. Kathy, did you learn how to do that like out of the box, like when you first became a therapist? Or is that something you came to because you discovered that casual conversation could distract you? Um, you know, maybe some of each. You know, I, I did have really good instructors. I've also had the great privilege of knowing you, my friend, for many, many years <laughs> and having lots of conversations <laughs> with you about communication in the treatment room. But, you know, I think, I think it was some of all of that. I think some of it developed as a result of experience over time um, and how to just comfortably have that kind of, you know, pull up my big girl pants and have that conversation with patients right from the get-go. So I think I was influenced by a number of factors. Well, in, in my textbook, I, I call it a therapeutic contract, that conversation that you're having. When you think about what we do as a transaction, um, this person is hiring you for a period of time to provide care. And so there's a, there's a verbal contract between client or patient and therapist. Yeah. This is what I this is what I'm asking. This is what you can give me. And so there's an agreement between you to ensure that we don't actually get too sidetracked by having those conversations right off the top. Um, you are clarifying your therapeutic contract and where therapists really often get stuck is that they for, they, they start to think of the communication between therapist and client or patient as an interaction, the kind of conversation you have with a friend. And if I have a conversation with a friend and I disagree with my friend, I can say pretty clearly most of the time, I disagree with you or I don't like what you just said or that's stupid. I might say that to a friend, but I'm not going to say that to a client. And, and where people get stuck in my opinion, is that they make that error and make an assumption that a client might share their values or whatever, and then they get walking down a road of an interaction, kind of thing you'd have with a friend. And they forget that there's a contract between the therapist and the patient or client. And then now they have to you know, reel it back in, and that's hard. Um, I, here in the Ottawa uh, Valley, where I live in Ontario, this big sturgeon in the Ottawa River, you know, put your line out, get a sturgeon on that, that's really hard to pull that line in. Well, it's the same thing for these kinds of conversations. Yeah. Really hard to pull them back into the therapeutic um, containment. So much, much better, as you said, Kathy, to start the relationship off clearly from jump. It makes everything easier. Yeah, I mean, it's not fail-proof, but I think it probably has curtailed a lot of that kind of thing right, right from the get-go, mm -hmm. you know, because certainly yeah. I've had to use uh, redirect, you know, when, yeah. you know, not necessarily driving my elbow into their abdominal trigger point, <laughs> but maybe just a, maybe just a conversational redirect. Oh, you know, uh, I'm, I, I, you know, I've got a hold of this and, you know, how does that yeah. feel for you type of thing? Yeah. Um, or, you know, with the, the off-color jokes, it's just go to blank face and not laugh. 
and that has exactly. been very that has been very effective. Typically, that individual sees that I'm not laughing at that, and it's been a rare occasion where they've kept going and pushing and pushing. Uh, yeah. Most of the time, that has stopped it right in the moment. Um, so those strategies have worked quite quite well for me. You know, I've been pretty fortunate, but I you know I do think that. Um, having that conversation right from the get-go has probably saved me a lot of grief uh, in, in the treatment room in terms of having to try to pull that sturgeon back in. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a feeling that many therapists, possibly uh, women, men, uh, any, anybody, have had difficulty saying what they want in the moment. We're all challenged with that in our personal relationships generally at times. And when we're dealing with people who have uh, stirred the pot uh, of our emotions, it's a very hard thing to do to actually recognize what's going on for you and also change the atmosphere. But we need to remember that we're in positions of power here, not servants, and we can we can determine the kind of environment that we want to work in. It's okay to say no, or it's okay to not laugh when somebody expects you to laugh. That's probably one of the most effective way to stop those awful old tired massage jokes. It's not laugh. Yeah. Well, and I have a, a dear friend and colleague, RMT colleague, who is very, very clear uh, and will declare the treatment space, whatever is the, the hot topic, you know, usually something political. I'm not picking on Americans, but he'll just say to people, this is a Trump-free zone. We're just not going to go there. Yeah. So he will just come right out and tell people, or if they, you know, if he forgets to say it right from the get-go and somebody says something, he'll say, wait, this is a Trump-free zone. We are not going there during the treatment session. Uh, let's talk about how things are feeling in your body. So he will just be like really, you know, blatant and direct. And, you know, I've often said to him, you should get one of those red circles with the line flash through it. And then put whatever the topic is, you know, and put that slash through it. So put it on your door. So as soon as people walk up, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea because really what are we doing? Well, our, our, our overarching goal of treatment is to, to calm and soothe the system. It's not to actually uh, engage a person's system. So yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. Don't want to fire up the sympathetic nervous system. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad and I will share, um, my dad and I are on very different ends of the political spectrum. And um, we just, I, I try to stay off his wall on Facebook and I think he tries to stay off mine, but you know, we'll, we'll send each other things that make fun of each other's side in a way that, allows us to both tap into how ridiculous the whole polarization of it is. And I, I think, you know, humor has always been one of my tools for sure. But I think that, you know, you make an important point with this sort of, you know, charged issue free zone, like sort of like, 
nobody wants to go there no matter what it is so let's just understand the funniness of like as humans let's just take a break for an hour and just enjoy this time together <laughs> right what, what, a, what a novel idea. Yeah, wow. Yeah, we could do that some more, probably. <laughs> um, well, as usual, Pam, we um, would love to ask you lots more juicy questions, but I, I think we've, I think we've uh, shared some, some good stuff with folks to really, I mean, it feels so, you know, kind of, and I mean, I, I've spent a lot of my adult life doing communication training and relationship training, so it seems very basic to me, but... I think that the things that really work are so basic and we make them so complicated. Bingo. I couldn't agree more. I, I really appreciate the conversation because I have been teaching this material for years in my own college. And every year I still learn something. It's, 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 and communication is one of those things that, like massage therapy practice, that you get better with time over time as you do it more and uh, even now i'm still marveling at the power of some of these really fundamental communication techniques simplicity reigns supreme <laughs> be willing to get it wrong yeah here we are again yeah <laughs> Oh, well, Pam, I'm sure we'll have you back. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Cal Cates. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We, we will. You'll have to, you let us know when you have more juicy things to talk about, and, uh, and we'll definitely have you back. <laughs> like empathy. Okay. Like empathy, perhaps. Here we were talking about. We're learning lots about empathy. That's a big topic, too. Yeah. Definitely. And, and not unrelated to communication, so. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I'm Cal Cates, Executive Director of HealWell. I'm excited to tell you podcast listeners that if you go to uh, HealWell's website, healwell.thinkific.com, uh, and enter the coupon code MTWB, which is Massage Therapy Without Borders, MTWB, the first 15 people to use that will get a discount on whatever class you choose. So go check it out. We have all kinds of classes about communication, many of them. I was thinking specifically today, uh, although you can use the coupon for anything, unconscious bias. We have a great course about unconscious bias. And I feel like that is one of the things that stymies our ability to communicate clearly, are things we don't know we're thinking. Um, but go check it out. We've got lots of cool stuff to make you a, uh, a more effective human and a better practitioner. Please share and post and like on the social medias and things like that. Kathy, take us away. And uh, this has been another episode of Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice, regulation, and education in order to formulate and share solutions to move us forward. Oh, and we're taking off next week. So we'll miss you. We hope you'll miss us, but we'll be back. So stay tuned. Go back and, you know, listen to one of our other fun episodes if you're feeling lonely. We'll look forward to being back with you the week after. Take care. Massage Therapy Without Borders is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. Send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org. And please check out our classes at healwell.org. New episodes will be available weekly via your favorite podcast app, 
and on Healwell's Facebook page. Thanks for listening.